0: Would you pray with me as we come into the last portion of James chapter 1? Father, I thank you for the testimony of your word. And as recorded in James' letter, how as we face trials and temptations in our lives, how we are to respond. And he points us towards you and towards having a single-minded devotion and towards seeing things with an eternal perspective. And so Lord, help us as we come to your word, as the waves crash around us of life, to come wanting to find stability and truth in what you have revealed to us. And so Lord, I pray that you would reveal your word to us now. Help us to receive it with joy. So in Christ's name I pray. Amen. How many of you, in reading through a book, find yourself, after reading through several pages over several minutes, you may look back on the last several minutes of your life and realize that you don't remember a thing that you just read. Now I remember doing that as a kid uh, for school, having trouble focusing on what I was reading. And, you know, you, you're your eyes may be going across the page, you may even be reading the words through in your mind, but uh, your brain isn't there, it was somewhere else. You thought it was there, but it really wasn't. And then all of a sudden, all at once, you realize that you'd really been distracted. And experts say that this is even worse for us today with technology, right? Uh, News and distractions that come our way and uh, point us in different directions, and we have trouble focusing even more these days than we did before. And they talk about this myth of multitasking, where we think that we can do more than one thing at once, but they say, no, that's not true. We can really only focus on one thing at a time. And you've probably seen this in your life in other ways. For instance, uh, how many of you have a honey-do list at home? And uh, no, no, I see a no there. Um, How old is the oldest thing on that honey-do list? Okay, I, how, how many of you, you have your, your light fixture that you know needs to be fixed, or there's a gash in your wall, and you walk by it, you go to work, and you come home, and you know it's there. It may even be in, it's in broad daylight right there in front of your face, but it's familiar to you. It's what you're used to. You see it every day, and so there's a sense in which to you, you filtered it out. It's out of sight and out of mind, and you may not even realize it's there anymore. Our passage from James this week is really speaking to this sort of life on autopilot. And he's challenging us to a certain amount of self-reflection. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Uh, He talks a lot about listening versus speaking. He talks a lot about self-evaluation versus being deceived. And at the end of the passage, he talks a lot about compassion and personal holiness. So is it difficult for you to seek to grow in your Christian life? Have you found it difficult? Or as you've sought to counsel others, do you sometimes find it difficult to help them change? Do you find it difficult to be honest with yourself? If you've ever struggled with one of these things, and I would submit to you then the passage from James that we're gonna be reading this week is speaking into your life. So let's read it together. First James, or sorry, James chapter 1. Just pulled a little uh, political stunt there, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. James chapter 1, uh, starting verse 19 through verse 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore In James together and over the first two weeks we did cover uh, trials and then last week temptations and in each of these uh, little sections within these bigger sections James is going over different ways in which we're to see an eternal perspective in the midst of our trials and ultimately he's building a case that's leading up to this passage that we're going to be looking at now with uh, looking towards self-reflection in light of God's word. And that's what we're going to be looking at this week. He's increasingly mentioning God's word towards the end of the chapter. Verse 18, verse 21, verse 25. But there's even allusions to God's word earlier in the chapter. If you look at verse 11, where it talks about the grass withers and the flower fades. Some of you may be familiar with Isaiah 40. He's quoting Isaiah 40 there. And if any of you know Isaiah 40, verse eight, it says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So he's bringing in this meaning and thought from Isaiah 40 for us to help us see that in light of, in Isaiah 40, God is sovereign in control over all the world. And yet the people who think that they are great, they will ultimately wither like the grass. But the word of our God stands forever. And so we come now to this section, where we're to look reflectively at our own life in light of that which is eternal, God's Word. And so I'm going to reread the first section, verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls." So, first, he's calling us to look reflectively at ourselves. Can you think of a time recently when you were angry? And what happened as you became angry? Did, did you act out in your anger towards another person, and how did they respond to that? Oftentimes, when one person gets angry, the other gets defensive and responds in like kind to their anger. And it it says something about us. It shows the other person something about where we're coming from and from our heart. But James says that our anger cannot produce the righteousness of God. As much as we feel that we are justified in our anger, it doesn't produce righteousness. In Leviticus 19.2, God tells Israel Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And that's the standard of righteousness that God requires of us. He requires holiness. And yet James says that our anger cannot produce the righteousness that God requires of us. Every time I read through James, I'm reminded of my, uh, my wife's father who... Uh, was a very godly man. And it turns out that James was his favorite book in the Bible. And I remember uh, I was still a young man getting to know the family when I was dating Aaron and just seeing his patience and his quiet listening. And I saw a life that was reflective of having spent time in God's word. And specifically, knowing that he loved the book of James, I could see these qualities reflected in him and in his life. And especially when compared to me, who as a young man, I was impatient and impulsive. Even when I wanted to do good, I was quick to speak. And I can compare how uh, my life was in, in contrast to his life. And I can see how God had worked through the word in his life to bring about change. And so he was a testimony to me of this sort of change that James is talking about. Even more, you can't speak and listen at the same time, just on a practical level. You know, we all are familiar with this. Um, One time, Aaron and I were driving over a big high overpass uh, highway interchange, and off in the distance, there was, uh, you could see for probably a mile or two around, you could see this large church, and on top of it was a gigantic inflatable sumo wrestler and this thing was there advertising their VBS for the summer. I hadn't seen it yet, and Erin tells me, I've got something really important to tell you. And so I look over at her, because she has something important to tell me, and right past her face, I see this sumo wrestler. And my response is, I point at her and I say, look, a sumo wrestler! And needless to say, she didn't tell me what she was going to tell me at that moment (laughs) because of my uh, lack of patient listening. And uh, so the the punchline of the story is that uh, she actually wanted to tell me she was pregnant. Uh, But uh, there are practical implications to our lack of listening in our lives. So, but James contrasts these these different qualities throughout the section. Being quick to respond versus being patient and listening. Being self-focused versus being God-glorifying. And earlier in the section it talks about filth and and evil, and then at the end it talks about personal holiness. At the beginning it talks about our anger, and then at the end it talks about having compassion on orphans and widows. Doug Moo, who has written a couple commentaries on James, says this, emotions are the product of the entire person, and by God's grace and the work of the Spirit, The person could be transformed so as to bring emotions in line with God's word and will. And that's a pretty good summary of at least one line of thought that goes through this passage, that our emotions are brought in line with God's will by reflecting upon his word. Down in verse 26, which we'll look at more later, it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart... See the connection between the tongue and the heart there. And Jesus was familiar with this, too. He, he says in a couple places in the Gospels, specifically in Luke 6.45, that out of the heart the mouth speaks. So there again, we see this connection between the heart and the tongue. And there's several places in the New Testament that talk about the, these contrasts of our old life versus our new life. And twice in First Peter, uh, Peter uses this. And in 1 Peter 3.18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So we have this dying to self in living through Christ. So there, there is something deeper here, right? Something deeper that goes back to our heart that affects our speech. And yet, we often live with a a disconnect between our understanding of who we are and what we do, right? How often are we, even if we're not physically talking, are we effectively talking rather than listening in the way we're interacting? So what makes the difference? What makes the difference between these two sides? All these contrasts that are building throughout this passage. In verse 21 it says that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's the implanted word that's able to save your souls. And we're to receive that with meekness. So it's somebody that receives the the word with a spirit of humility that is changed by it. So how can we apply this, this first idea of looking reflectively? First, we need to beware of life on autopilot. Do you listen on a surface level and not internalize what you hear? Specifically from God's word. James calls somebody who doesn't see rightly, he calls them deceived. And he says that the religion is worthless. And those are really strong words. He's trying to get a hold of us. Don't just watch your tongue, evaluate what that means. Use the mirror of God's word. And second, morality will not cut it. See, religion that is pure and undefiled can only come through gospel change in people's lives. And that comes through the word of God. It's the implanted word that's able to save your souls and we must receive it with meekness. And so, having looked reflectively, then in the next section, James tells us to use the mirror. Reading in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we should use the mirror. We, we have to connect this section back to verses 16 to 18, which were covered last week. In verse 18, it says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. Do you see the gospel in that? He brought us forth by the word of truth. And then again in verse 21, it says that we are to receive the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. And that takes us into verse 22. It's only those who have been brought forth by the word of truth have received the implanted word that can do. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. So there's a connection there between the two. There's this imperative to be doers of the word. Hearers alone are deceived if they don't do. So what's the difference between the two? Those who are changed use the mirror, and they use it with perseverance. It's not just a passing glance. It involves time and examination. So what exactly is this word? James is using word in several ways throughout the passage. And I would submit to you that there's three ways that he uses the word. The word, word, right? Word, yeah, okay. The message of the gospel is the first way, right? It's the message of the gospel that we proclaim. And a second way would be God's written word, the Bible. And then a third way would be the work of the Spirit on our hearts that takes that message of the Gospel and makes it effective, that changes us, that brings life. That would be salvation through the work of the Spirit. So there's the message of the Gospel, the Bible, and salvation brought by the Spirit of God. And I think that James is speaking pretty broadly here. He's using these terms very flexibly in different parts of the passage. So we could see it in the narrow sense of the Gospel or the broad sense of the Bible. And we understand what James's point is here in this section, that he, he wants us to follow through with doing, but really he highlights that the mirror is what matters in the doing. It's the mirror that is the means that makes the doing effective. So let's look at what he says about the word here. He says that in verse 21, it's able to save your souls. This is the gospel message that we proclaim and that we confess. It shows us our natural face. And you can get this by reading God's word, memorizing it, reflecting on it, thinking about it. And then in verse 25, it's the law of liberty. It brings us freedom from sin to live for Christ. Remember that passage from uh, 1 uh, Peter 3.18, right? We, We die to sin in order to live to Christ. So in what way is the gospel message found in God's word, a law of liberty. What does that law of liberty really mean? Morality by itself is a weight that we can't bear. It's bondage to remain bound to our sin. But the gospel is freeing because Christ paid for our sin and calls us to live for him. So living for Christ is the doing that James is talking about here. You won't be able to do this unless you've believed in Christ and received the implanted word. That connection between verses 21 and 22 again. So we're called to remember. We're called to reflect on the mirror. You know, the, In the Old Testament, there's all these calls to remembrance of what God has done and who he is. And there was a reason why Israel was called to remember and to reflect. And we should do the same. The Bible is a testimony for us. It's a mirror that reveals to us who we really are. And so we are to remember. So, applying this section of using the mirror, first, know where real wisdom is found. God's word applies to life. And that's what we're working to do in our home groups. As we apply the message from the previous week in our home groups the next week, we're trying to bring about change in our lives. We, we want to apply God's word that we've studied in a way that brings life change. James talks a lot about wisdom and his letter is often referred to as a book of wisdom. And gospel transformation is the path of true wisdom. We die to sin, we live to Christ, and is that who you are? Have you believed in Christ and are now being conformed to his image? And second, be in the word, internalize it. Know it, understand it. And I I would compare it to, you could probably use any kind of food analogy you want, but I'll just use chocolate. You you know there's the cheap Easter bunny chocolate that you give your kids and it's really not good, it's like mostly wax and they like it anyway. And then there's really good chocolate, right? The more you're in the word, the more you savor it, like that really good chocolate. Um, the, The more you see the connectedness of it, the more you understand what God has done for us and you savor that and you take joy in it. So be in the word. And then last for this section, when you come to the word, wrap your devotion of the word in prayer. You see, this isn't an academic exercise. We wanna come to the word as the source of life and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so I would challenge you, pray as you come to God's word. And then once you've come to God's word, you know, real simple Bible study method, observe, interpret, apply, observe what it says, read it, see what the main idea is. Interpret, ask what does this mean? And then apply, what does this mean for me? What does this mean to my life? So, you can ask questions like, what is this this telling me I need to do differently? What is this saying to me about God and who he is, and about Christ and redemption, and about man and sin? But all of that should be wrapped in prayer as we come to the word devotionally, because it is the source of life. And so, having looked reflectively at our lives in light of the mirror of God's word, it's only then that we're able to see clearly. In verse 26, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't be deceived, James says, several times. Even outside this passage, he constantly reminds us, don't be deceived. The fall affects everything. It affects our ability to even perceive our own sin, to see it for what it is. See, we don't see clearly because of our sin. This is a a theme you see in several places through scripture as the authors give attestation a to the fact that even as the gospel message is proclaimed, some people's eyes are blind. And we don't see clearly that we justify our sin. 1 John 2.11 says, "'Whoever hates his brother is in darkness "'and walks in the darkness, "'and does not know where he is going, "'because the darkness has blinded his eyes.'" So John attests to this reality, that sin affects our, even our ability to diagnose the sin in our hearts. It deceives us, and so we have to recognize that. Jesus even says you know, in stories like the, the sheep and the goats or in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, there were many who will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say I never knew you in Matthew 7. He's highlighting a contrast between a form of religion and one that changes lives. So failure to control your speech is a symptom of a deeper issue. If you've been blind to your sin, then turn to Christ. God calls upon us to believe in the gospel in order to be saved. And Paul makes this connection between the word that we receive and faith. In Romans 10, in verses eight and nine, he says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. He calls us to believe. And so those who've been transformed by the implanted word will have new attitudes characterized by a heart of compassion and personal holiness. And that's what we're coming to in verses 26 and 27. In a heart of compassion, there will be a desire to see good come to others. We will see them as created in God's image, and we will value them. That's this compassion that we show to orphans and widows and their distress. And in personal holiness, there's a desire to honor the Father with our lives. Therefore, James says, keep oneself unstained from the world. There's the inward, And then there's the outward. There's two sides to it. And I would submit that one empowers the other. It's this inward change that empowers our ability to have outward compassion. It also says in verse 25 that they are blessed by their doing. There's a certain joy found in following God's way. And this is the wisdom of Proverbs. We learn by putting things to practice, don't we? I can just imagine that if I wanted to teach my kids to ride a bike, and I were to sit them in a classroom in front of a whiteboard and spend half an hour lecturing them on the importance of balance and making sure you don't oversteer and keep the pedals turning for forward momentum, and then I set them on the bicycle, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to fall right over, right? Because they haven't done any doing, right? We, we learn by practice. And that's... Uh, Something that we, as we really experience things, then there's a blessing in that experience. So they're blessed by their doing. It also says that the religion of those who do is pure and undefiled. See, God is honored when we live for him. Our speech should honor him, from verse 19 and again in verse 26. And our compassion in our personal holiness, from verse 27, should honor him. Warren Wiersbe, commenting on James, said, the best way to minister to the needs of the world is to be pure from the defilement of the world. So we're to worship God in a heart and mind that seeks a purity of heart that impacts our lives. We're to be imitators of God, both internally and externally. So, How can we apply this seeing clearly? First, be honest with yourself and seek forgiveness that can only come from Christ. If your heart has not been changed, then seek God. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And you should do the same, just as Paul has called us to. And then, second, seek the fruit of gospel change in your own life. Is the gospel at work in your life and in your heart? Are there things in your life and in your mind, in your thoughts that you're not willing to let go of, that you're holding on to? And if they were revealed, you would be ashamed of them, to reveal them to those who are around you. Make a commitment now to be done with them. If you need to seek personal accountability from somebody else who can help you in that? Are there habits in your life that hurt your relationship with God? Be willing to change. Look at the mirror of God's word and be willing to make changes in your life to seek him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then last, does your experience of the gospel impact your interaction with others? Do you see those around you as created in God's image? Do you value them? When Israel went astray towards the latter part of the Old Testament, the prophets called them to account on this issue. They said that the leaders of Israel had become wealthy at the expense of the poor. They held them to account on the fact that they had oppressed widows and the fatherless. These people could never repay the leaders for, for what they had or what they had done. And the leaders took advantage of them. So I'd ask you, who are the orphans and widows in your life? And how do you treat those who can never repay you? because that is a window into your heart and what you value. So as we go about our week this week, I challenge us to be willing to look reflectively at our own lives in light of who God wants us to be. And use the mirror, use the mirror of God's word, give it time, don't rush it. And seek change that can only come from seeing clearly. James has spent this section of chapter one, building up to this point of helping us to see the eternal perspective and life situations, and it culminates in this self-reflection in light of God's word. It's the wise person who looks reflectively at their lives by gazing intently into God's word so that they may see clearly and respond faithfully. And so my prayer is that that would be who each one of us are as individuals here, And that collectively, together, that would be descriptive of who we are as a congregation. And let's be thankful for God's word. Thankful for the fact that it is a testimony of who he is and what he's done. It's been given to us as the mirror for our good and for our help. And so we can take joy in it. So let's be thankful that it's by God's word and the work of his spirit that we can see clearly. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I thank you that you bring people to yourself and that though we were blinded by our sin, your spirit works to give sight to the blind. And so, Lord, I pray that for anyone who is blind this morning, that you would help them to see clearly. Help them to receive the implanted word which is able to save their souls. And Lord, help us to respond faithfully just as you've called us to and to be grateful for the testimony of your word that you've given us, which reveals to us who you are and is a record of, of Christ and what he has done for us. It's in Christ's name that I pray, amen.